What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day Savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I guess I'm always hoping that you'll end this rain. I'm Joe McCormick. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And our regular host, Jonathan Strickland, is not with us today. He's, I think, at a castle in Wales playing Quidditch or something. Something to that extent, yes. Uh, so, you know, go Thunderbucks. And in his absence, we are going to uh, t- to talk about a, a, kind of, a kind of upsetting subject today. It's great. But it's universal. It is. We're, we're, ta- we're talking about pain. Yeah, the future of pain and the, of pain management, of counterpain, you might say. Uh, yes, more of an emphasis, I think, on, on you know, trying to prevent pain. We're not just right, talking... about the future of causing pain. Of causing pain, right. Uh, because, okay, there's been a lot of sad news lately about the increasing rates of pain medication overuse or abuse and the tragic consequences thereof. Yeah, I think a lot of this came in the wake of Prince's death recently, which I know has been linked in the media to uh, to use of an opioid drug to treat chronic pain. I believe. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think his official cause of death has been listed as an accidental overdose of fentanyl, which is this uh, opioid pain relief drug. Mm-hmm. But but I mean, Prince aside, and that was certainly tragic. We all miss Prince. Um, but the, the problem is, is very widespread and very serious. Yeah. Uh, some, some numbers for you guys. Uh, according to the CDC, in the United States alone in 2014, over 14,000 people died from overdoses involving prescription opioids. Um, a national survey that same year reported that almost 2 million Americans were abusing or physically dependent on prescription opioids, and 1,000 people go to the emergency room in this country every day for misusing prescription opioid drugs. Opioid. 
opioid. A, I'm sorry, that's a funny sounding word to say. It is, isn't it? It, it sounds is. like a like the name of a pet walrus or something. It, it, it sounds like fjords. It, it's got that eel in it. I, yeah, it reminds me of the of the nerd from Domino's for some reason. I'm not sure why. <laughs> the the nerd the noid the noid is that what the, it's called? Was it? Anyway, at any rate, uh, yeah, of course, opioids are are a class of drugs. They contain drugs like morphine and uh, all all those opium derived drugs. We'll we'll get into more of the specifics. Yeah, Yeah. more of the specifics of that lately. But yeah, this is obviously a huge problem, but it's not just a problem that people are overdosing on these drugs. I mean, pain is a big enough problem on its own to merit some sort of intense solution. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and we're not trying to put out a, a dare episode. Here, I don't, I don't know if you were in the Dare program when you were in high school. The the drugs are rotten, all y'all. I, I that's not an acronym. Um, what they're rotten, so you should get some fresh ones. <laughs> They've gone off. I, I I'm mostly impressed that I just tried to make the E in Dare stand for all y'all. Um, but yeah, no, I, we're not. It's right. It's not just a drugs are bad problem. And and furthermore, it's not just kids that are abusing these drugs. It's a range of ages of humans who are doing it. Um, and and the problem, of course, is that medical science has not figured out how to solve pain yet. Yeah, pain, surprisingly, despite the fact that we do know some things about it, it is in many ways an open problem in medical science. We have some ways of treating it. Obviously, the best thing to do to address pain is to go in and fix the problem that's causing pain to begin with. But uh, then there, sure. there are lots of issues that we'll talk about, such as chronic pain, where in many cases you, you've sort of lost track of what the original cause is and now you're just having this subjective experiential problem of distress and and unpleasant feelings mm-hmm. uh and and what can you do but treat the feelings themselves at that point uh but yeah so pain is a pain is a big problem pain is a big problem all over the world in the United States alone in 2012 a report in the journal of pain Good journal name. Tried to calculate. <laughs> journal of pain. Uh huh. But it, it tried to calculate the cost of chronic pain mm-hmm. in the United States. And, uh, chronic pain has costs, of course, not only, uh, because you have to pay for the treatment, the drugs cost money, the doctor visits cost money, but because it complicates treatments for other medical conditions. Say, for example, if, if you've got chronic pain, you're, uh, you're, your outlook for a different kind of condition might be different because you've mm-hmm. already got this other problem to deal with. You might not be able to take uh, the drugs or get the surgeries or something like that uh, to, that you would need to deal with this other condition. And also because workers tend to lose productivity as they experience pain. The more you hurt, the less you have to offer often. I mean, not to say you're any wor- worth any less as a person, but oh sure, but you, it's it, just it, difficult. It cuts into your ability to do things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so they in this study estimated that every year chronic pain costs the United States between five hundred and sixty and six hundred and thirty-five billion dollars. Which is actually more than the estimated annual costs of cancer, diabetes, or heart disease. Wow. So, I mean, it's pretty much a no-brainer that we should be focusing our efforts on finding ways to solve the problem of pain. But that's a lot easier said than done. Uh, sure. But coming down to the, to the basic factor that we, we don't have a complete concept of what pain is. Yeah, it's kind of hard to get underneath pain and define it, isn't it? Like, it's such a basic subjective feeling. Pain almost seems like the the thing by which you describe other things, not a thing right. that you describe unto itself, because it's one of those baseline experiences of being a human being that you, you, it's just hard to put your, put your mind around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to give a basic definition, a, a task force for the International Association for the Study of Pain did try to give a pretty universal medical definition of pain, and it's the one I've seen cited most often, and it goes like this, quote, pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience that is associated with actual or potential tissue damage or described in such terms. Uh, so that's basically just saying, like, pain hurts and is upsetting. Yeah. And that emotional part, the upsettingness is crucial. And I want to talk about that more toward the end of the episode. But in addition to this really basic definition, usually doctors and medical professionals are going to divide pain into two uh, 
basic, very different types, which are acute pain and chronic pain. Uh, right. Uh, so let's let's start with acute. Yeah. Acute pain is the kind of pain that everybody's familiar with. It's a temporary result of disease, injury, or inflammation. And it, it's good. It warns you that something is wrong. And for this reason, it is quite useful, especially in today's medicine. So in an evolutionary sense, acute pain is useful even, you know, if you can't get to a doctor, it's useful even in the wild uh, because you might, for example, stop putting weight on that injured leg of yours because right. it hurts when you do. Uh-huh. And that gives that leg time and ability to heal without you continuously putting stress on it is just going to make the problem worse. Uh, sure. Or if you touch a hot surface. Yeah. You remove your body part from it immediately uh-huh. because it hurts. Right. Uh, preventing further injury uh, uh, as opposed to just leaning on. I don't know what's that hot surface our, our caveman versions of ourselves are encountering. Uh, really hot rocks. I, I mean, fire is bad, yeah, certainly. I guess so. so, yeah, pretty. But bad. To stop getting struck by lightning. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh, that's the fourth time this week. Exactly. I got to stop climbing up this tree. Uh, but yeah, so in fact, there are, there are certain recognized conditions that prevent people from feeling pain. And that's not a good thing. Obviously, that sounds great because we don't like pain, but you need your pain. You you need this. It's very important. It's a very useful trait. Exactly. People who are born without the ability to feel pain have what's known as congenital analgesia, and it is very dangerous. People can suffer injuries or illnesses without being aware of them, uh, and then those Ill- illnesses, injuries, whatever, the bad state can progress without treatment and lead to disability or even death. And yeah. if you have congenital insensitivity to pain, you have to be on the lookout all the time. You have to be extremely vigilant of what's going on with your body because you're, it's not going to let you know when something's wrong. You have to basically scope. You have to observe it. Right, like, right. Oh, you're, you're my not gonna, leg is bent sideways. You know? You're not going to feel that splinter in your foot. Uh, you're, you have to find it. You have to notice it in other ways. Yeah. So, so acute pain is good and useful but of course it's not useful say what well, you know once you're already aware of the disease if you've got a broken bone or something you probably will need some painkillers to deal with that and we have pretty good remedies for that right uh yeah acute pain is is a category of pain that we're we're usually pretty good at treating these days uh you know like if you've got sinus pain due to inflammation because of an infection you could be able to treat the infection uh and you can definitely take an anti-inflammatory to treat the the cause of that pain mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got a knee injury, you can help the leg return to normal function faster, again, treating the cause using, you know, a, a brace or physical therapy or, again, anti-inflammatories. And you might also you might also be prescribed like muscle relaxers or electrical stimulation to lessen the pain while the knee heals. Uh, all of these are, are, you know, wonderful modern treatments and, and huzzah for all of that. Um, uh, but but the other type of pain, chronic pain, is a little bit more uh, troublesome. Yeah, this is where things get really hairy. So long term and for the most part pointless pain <laughs> is chronic pain. What what does long term mean? Some say longer than three months. I've seen longer than six months. So I guess we could say longer than three to six months might be a, an approximate general rule. But the idea is pain is chronic if it lasts longer than the healing time for the problem that's causing it. Uh, yeah. And, and these are, again, these are the types of issues that we're not so great at treating because often we don't have fixes for them. They sometimes involve damage to the nervous system itself or, or ongoing tissue damage due to some kind of bodily system dysfunction that we can mitigate, but not necessarily cure as in a cancer or arthritis. Right. And so in, in these cases, we're really just treating the symptoms, not the cause. Yeah. So let's look at the cause of pain. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we've, uh, our, our amazing modern medical concept of it has not been around forever. Yeah, that's true. Uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, ancient people often interpreted pain through a magical or spiritual lens, who would have guessed? Uh, it, it was an affliction, you know, it's a punishment, something being done to you by an otherworldly agent. Very common to look at pain in these terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this type of thinking is still somewhat reflected in the origins of the English word pain, actually, which comes originally uh, through the old French, but originally from the Latin poena, 
meaning punishment or penalty. Oh, wow. And in the earliest uses of pain in English, we still see this connotation. Like if you go back to the 13th century, say, to look at how pain is used in English, you'll see uses like if you hunt in the Duke's private forest, it is a crime punishable on pain of death, meaning you get the death penalty. Punishment of death. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I had never thought about that before. Yeah, pretty creepy, huh? Yeah, that's... So when you have a pain in your in your eyeball, I, I, why did I pick eyeball? I That's a terrible thing. When Don't, you have a okay. stabbing pain in your eyeball, Certainly. it is a punishment from someone. I To be fair, if I had a stabbing pain in my eyeball, I would pretty much assume that anyway, yeah. even with science. But uh, <laughs> yeah, How fragile science is. <laughs> Uh, but then, of course, the, you got to the ancient Greek physicians, and they sometimes wrote about pain as being a result of some form of imbalance or disorder or unnatural state. And this is a very Greek way of thinking, I think. Oh, uh, we're going to get into the humors again, aren't we? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. So health and pleasure were created by order and harmony, things being balanced and in their natural state. Uh-huh. Pain and displeasure were created by chaos and unnatural corruption or things being imbalanced or out of order. And uh, th- this general philosophical orientation, I think, informed their literal understanding of the medical causes of pain. So I want to read a quote from On the Nature of Man, which is an ancient Greek medical treatise in the Hippocratic canon, not written by Hippocrates, but uh, part of his school of thought. Sure. Yeah. So it goes like this. The body of man has in itself blood phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. These make up the nature of the body, and through these he feels pain or enjoys health. Now he enjoys the most perfect health when these elements are duly proportioned to one another in respect to compounding, power, and bulk, and when they are perfectly mingled. Pain is felt when one of these elements is in defect or excess, or is isolated in the body without being compounded with all the others." Oh, yeah. I hate it when my phlegm gets in my toes and causes them to ache. Exactly. So you've got phlegm in your toes and you don't have any uh, you don't have any black bile to balance it out. What yeah. are you going to do? I my toes going to hurt. I guess so. Clearly. That's that's why I've got gout. <laughs> it's not all those. Uh, it's not the pastries the I've been eating. I think everyone has eaten pastries. I think that's a common. Okay. Yeah. We should get Tracy and Holly on the line. What, did they eat like uh, ancient uh, ancient cured fish pastries? Oh, I'm sure cured fish pastries. I would, I would try cured fish pastry. I'll speculate. I'll say that's it. Okay. Uh, but eventually, of course, medical science came to understand beyond the the idea of the four humors. And part of me thinks that that's only got to be a partial explanation, right? Because they they thought. Okay, so in some sense, pain is caused by an imbalance of humors, but surely they didn't think that was what caused pain when you cut yourself, right? Or maybe, maybe, maybe because you're like losing blood at that point, and so maybe. Well, what about a what about a, a pricking feeling that doesn't quite pierce the skin? I, I don't know. I mean, th- that seems a little off. Yeah, like it doesn't fit their model. Not quite. I yeah, I'm not sure that they had entirely thought this through. <laughs> I to be fair, they were probably busy with other things. Yes. Uh, yeah, not to insult the, those of the Hippocratic uh, yeah. school of thought, but... Yeah, yeah, no, no. If y'all are time travelers and listening to this, we respect you. Right. Uh, but of course, like we were saying, eventually medical science did come to understand the crucial role of the nervous system in the perception of pain. So in a standard pain response to like a damaging stimulus, a knife goes into your skin or something, sensory neurons throughout the body or in the place where you're getting damaged called nociceptors uh, set off a chain reaction that travels through the nervous system via electrical impulses through the spinal cord and eventually up to the brain, and the brain is what processes your pain and your reaction to it. Now, m- this, this is interesting. It's not just like you have one pain center, center in yeah. your brain. Mm-hmm. Multiple regions of the brain are involved in reacting to pain, illustrating how pain is sort of a complex phenomenon within our bodies. It's not just that one sensation, but a state of mind. So it involves direct sensory information, you know, like, okay, this pain is thermal and it's intense and it's on my left ankle Mm -hmm. and then it involves emotions like i don't like that that's bad yeah Yeah. Uh, motivation get away quick Mm -hmm. and cognition like a plan for escaping this torch being held to your ankle or whatever whatever it may be To make it a little bit more complicated, because clearly we needed that here, Uh, part of the issue in nociceptive pain, that this pain that results from injury, 
are chemicals that your damaged tissue releases called prostaglandins, which, uh, A, help boost the signal to your spinal cord that, you know, something's up. Hey, warning. Uh-huh. Uh, Stuff is going down. Right. Um, and, and B, they help regulate things like your, your blood flow and, and your clotting principles. So they're, they're what causes inflammation around an injury. And oh, okay. more on that in a minute. Um, and I also wanted to mention here that there's a second, uh, type of pain in contrast to nociceptive pain called, uh, called clinical pain or neuropathic. Ah, so neuropathic, we can probably guess from that word, it involves the nervous system. Yeah, yeah. This is the pain that occurs even though there was no negative stimulation to the nociceptors. So either your nerves themselves have received damage or something has gone wrong in your pain signaling system somewhere. It's like getting pain spam. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's just word salads full of pain spam and, and your brain is going like, well, crap. Yeah. I still have to deal with this email. I guess so. Yeah, you don't really have a choice, do you? Yeah. We can we can route uh, spam into a into a junk folder. If only we could do that with pain with, spam. Yeah. Oh man, let's call let's call some science science dudes. Well, that may be part of our, our part of our solution profile later on. Sure. So today we we do have some comprehension of how pain works in the body, but we still don't know everything, right? But the more we learn, the better we can treat pain. Uh, one of the things that we're that we're learning about is how chronic pain changes. The brain. That and doesn't sound good. It does. It's not good. That's terrible. Um, uh, for, for reasons that we really don't understand very well yet, chronic pain creates changes in the brain's connections and chemistry. Yeah, so most of the stories you hear about the uh, plasticity of the adult brain are positive, but this one, not so much. Not so much, yeah. It leads to abnormal functioning that can increase the sensation of pain and the likelihood of emotional conditions like anxiety and depression, which is just a horrible, no good feedback loop. Uh-huh. And and so this is one of the really big things that would be super rad to figure out. No doubt. So we, we certainly have these pain problems. Of course, you've got the more manageable acute pain pain problems you know mm-hmm. you got hurt you it hurts and you've got to figure out a way to deal with that but that's temporary we, we've got sort of a handle on that then we've got these bigger problems chronic pain mm-hmm. uh, the, the way chronic pain changes the, the way our nervous system works and all that so what are our pain treatment options today what are the things that are most often used by doctors and by people dealing with pain to fix the problem oh uh, as, as we said earlier there are some physical therapies but uh, but the drug therapies are what we wanted to concentrate on today right uh, so I, I think the first category to consider is the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs which are like aspirin and ibuprofen yeah. stuff like that we're pretty familiar with these oh yeah yeah they're they're the most commonly used drugs for acute pain because they they work by by blocking the effects of a couple of particular enzymes that are necessary for your body to make those aforementioned uh, prostaglandins um, that that cause the inflammation and and stronger pain signals to go to the brain mm-hmm. so that is how they work pretty simple uh, over the counter don't usually need a prescription for them mm-hmm. um, unless you get them in very very high doses or if they're mixed with something else but uh, yeah. Moving over into the prescription category, you've got antidepressants and antiepileptics, which are sometimes used in in chronic and especially in neuropathic pain. Uh, Both are actually really poorly understood in their mechanisms, like no one's really entirely sure how they work. But researchers think that the chemical actions of both might help block pain pathways, might Mm -hmm. help block those signals that are shooting around telling your brain that stuff sucks. Um, and antidepressants, of course, have a bonus action of maybe making a patient feel emotionally better, which helps to destabilize that that feedback loop. Well, yeah, as we've established already, emotion clearly is part of the medically recognized profile of pain. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just sensory information on your ankle. It's it's your whole disposition toward it's it. It's your feelings about it as well. Sure. Yeah. So antidepressants can help with that. The category of of drugs that we started this episode off talking about opioids is the category that are that's the subject of, of the most concern for a number of reasons all basically boiling down to the facts that they're really effective at blocking pain and also that they have really dangerous side effects we'll get into the side effects in a second but uh how opioids work okay so your body 
makes opioids. Mm -hmm. They're neurotransmitters that plug into particular neuroreceptors and relieve pain. Mm -hmm. Yay. Yeah, because your your body has a sort of internal dialogue when pain is going on. Yeah, there, there's like there there are pain amplifiers and then pain dampeners uh-huh. uh, to sort of uh, to to regulate what's going on back and forth between your nerve cells and your brain. Oh, right, and so so this this is one of those pain relievers in your body. And opioid drugs work by plugging into those same neuroreceptors and producing similar effects. Right. Yay, or wait, not yay, because they're not quite the same as the opioids that your body makes and those chemical differences lead to the unpleasant side effects that we see. Right. And so there are a lot of side effects. In fact, we should try to address as well as we can a, a sort of broad range of the problems with pain treatment options that exist in the drugs of today. One of the most straightforward ones, though it's probably worth mentioning, is simple inadequacy. Yeah. Uh, like a problem with a lot of pain treatments and medications is that they do not work or they do not work enough. This maybe should go without saying, but it's something to consider. You know, yeah. you might be taking a Tylenol for your pain and find, uh, okay, I already took the pill, but it still really, really hurts. It does not reduce the pain to a tolerable level. Right, sure. Or that your body uh, develops a tolerance to it over time, in the case of opioids in particular. Yeah. And so another one of the big things is going to be side effects, as you just mentioned. Uh, yeah. And and even those over-the-counter non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like aspirin should definitely be treated with care because they're, they're known to cause pretty serious gastrointestinal bleeding. Yeah. Uh, especially when taken regularly or along with other acidic foods like like alcohol. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so a lot of them come with those warnings, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's basically why it says not to drink and take it at the same time, because nobody wants your stomach to bleed. Right. Uh, but then, of course, the side effects of opioids are one of the big problems for concern. So mm-hmm. according to a 2008 article in Pain Physician, uh, most common side effects for opioids include, quote, sedation, Okay, that's pretty expected, but Mm -hmm. dizziness, nausea, vomiting, constipation, physical dependence, tolerance, and respiratory depression. Uh, The most common of these being constipation and nausea, which in some cases, I mean, those sound like things that are bad, but maybe in some cases preferable to intense pain. To intense crazy pain all Uh, the time. uh, Depending on, depending on the patient and the pain and, and uh, that whole, round of information. But then, of course, in some cases, th- even constipation and nausea alone might be severe enough that the patient is just going to have to discontinue use of the drug. Yeah. And so in many cases, when you're treating pain with an opioid, you're going to have sort of an arms race going yeah. on, uh, uh, fighting back and forth between is the opioid enough to fix the pain without the side effects getting so bad that they're worse than the pain itself. Yeah, which is which is of course the question in any drug treatment, but is is particularly common in in opioid yeah. pain relievers. And um, of course, the physical dependence and addiction are major concerns uh, that make the opi- make the opioids especially controversial when it comes to treating chronic pain. Uh, sure, and and that respiratory depression is. It's not yeah. a it's not a funsies kind of problem. Yeah, that was the last one I mentioned in the list. It's not just like an uncomfortable feeling or an annoyance. Respiratory depression is the cause of death in most fatalities due to opioid overdose. You stop breathing. That's mm-hmm. what it does to your body. Uh, and according to the World Health Organization in the United States of America alone in 2010, there were an estimated 16,651 deaths due to overdose on prescription opioids. Uh, and then on top of that, there were 3,036 due to overdose on heroin, Whew. which, of course, is a, still an opioid, but a street drug. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, e- even if you even if you live through it, that that tolerance and dependence and addiction uh, are are also quite serious matters. Yeah, of course, tolerance is a big problem with this because over time, lots of pain medications, including opioids, this is where you often encounter this, become less effective. The body builds up a tolerance to them, and this means people need to continue upping their dosage. You've got to take more 
to get the same effect. But then, of course, you're into another one of these gambling games here. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- th- it can be dangerous because the more you up the dosage, the more risk you have of side effects or ma- major side effects up to and including death. Yeah. Tolerance is also a symptom of dependence. Lots of drugs, opioids included, change the body's chemistry and functions enough that if you've been taking the drug and you suddenly stop, you'll go through withdrawal. And and that's that's another one of those symptoms. It means that you're your body is dependent physically on that chemical. And addiction, in contrast, is a, a mental or emotional process, a mental or emotional dependence. But but it can all absolutely involve physical dependence as well. Uh-huh. And because opioids do their job relatively well, addiction is, again, an unfortunately common problem. Yeah. And then, of course, another big problem, this stuff ain't cheap. <laughs> De- dealing with pain is not a cheap proposal. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, when when you're in chronic pain, the costs of these medications are perpetual. You know, we're, we're treating the symptom more than the cause. And when you add those direct financial costs to the personal costs of being less able to work, it can be really financially crippling. Um, the exact costs of all of these medications vary really, really, really widely. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks to our, you know, Kind of convoluted prescription system and, and our, and our very complex drug manufacturing and labeling industry as well. But, uh, to give you a number, okay. According to a survey of approximately 690 million outpatient doctor visits made in the United States for chronic pain from the years 2000 through 2007, the total cost of the pain relievers subscribed was 17.8 billion annually. Wow. It's, it's more than two. It's it's a bunch. I wonder how much I wonder how that compares to how much we spent on pizza though. <laughs> I did not pull that number. I'm wishing that I had. Uh in the meanwhile. But it's nothing to sniff at, especially for for the individual. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh and in addition to all of that, um, and, and part of what we've been talking about with with the effectiveness of these drugs, we've also got the placebo effect. Right. Um Because, okay, so, you know, pain is tricky and subjective, and the medications that treat it are as well. And as we've said, a patient's attitude toward a pain medication can have as much impact on its effectiveness as the actual chemical pathways that are in use. So, for for example, trials with placebo and with medium doses of morphine have shown that 35% of patients will receive pain relief from the placebo and only 36% will receive pain relief from the morphine. <laughs> it's cra- it's it's actually like a problem in the drug, in the drug industry to get these kinds of things through testing because the the rates of placebo effectiveness are so high. Uh-huh. Uh it's a thing that people are trying to think about. There's there's a lot of drugs that have not come to market because of that. Well, I mean <sighs> The whole issue of dealing with pain is so strange because it's not uh, an externally verifiable yeah. – you can't measure it from the outside. You can only ask people about their perception of it. I'm trying to think what would be an external measure of pain. You, I guess you could like measure what people are capable of doing with certain levels of pain. But even then, that's going to vary depending on their their attitude towards things and how, how they feel. It's just – it's a – First-person subjective internal yeah. experience, and it's very real. Yeah, but there's there, there's no way you can look on the outside to measure it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm wondering if there's some way that you could. Uh, I mean, this would be be obviously way too expensive for just an average patient doctor experience, but to measure like like neuron activity or some kind of uh, some of the chemicals going on in the brain. Uh, but even then, I can guess that it, pr- it wouldn't be the same the pers- from person to person. Sure. So one person's high level of neuron activity might not be enough to prevent them from living their lives normally, whereas in another person it would. Yeah. And and there is so much abuse in the industry that I, I think that a lot of doctors are – uh, very skeptical. I, you know, a- anecdotally, um, you, you know, like, like I certainly know a, a number of people who have, for example, uh, uh, ongoing back pain problems or something who, mm. whenever they go into a new doctor, the doctor is always like, really? Yeah. Are you sure? You crazy oxycodone grunt. Grunt. I, I don't what think they're that's, calling him on the streets I, now. I think, I think it's not at all. But all of this could hopefully change in the future with some of the research that people are putting into into what pain is and how to make it better. Yeah, so it's hard to say exactly what the future of 
pain treatment is going to be. But I, we just wanted to share with you a few interesting uh, avenues of research we've come across that that might lead to different and better ways of treating pain in the future that don't rely so much on uh, dependence forming and, and dangerous opioids, or even if they do rely on them, make, might help us get better use of them. Yeah. Uh, to, and, to treat pain better and cause fewer side effects and cost less. Sure. And the first one, of course, because we couldn't get through a Joe and Lauren episode without mentioning some kind of creepy crawlies, <laughs> has to do with tarantula venom. Yes. What can we learn from tarantula venom? What can't we learn, really? Yes, that that is the proper way of formulating the question. So <laughs> as as you may remember, Lauren and I have talked about the potential usefulness of animal venom before in figuring out ways to beat hard problems in medicine. I remember in one previous uh, episode we did on that, we talked about using a type of scorpion venom, I believe it was, that binds to certain types of cells in the body and then allows them to be highlighted for surgical purposes. Uh Uh, But anyway, so studying venom or studying specifically the toxins in venom is uh, a very fruitful avenue of medical research because though the venoms usually do unpleasant things to us, when we're trying to find ways to create targeted biomedical or biochemical changes inside the body, sort of smart bombs for the body, venoms can be a really helpful place to start because they have already been honed by nature to have a very specific effect. They do stuff real good. Yeah. Uh, and by studying these specific effects, you might be able to specifically actually use the toxin in the venom to, say, seek out and target a certain type of receptor in the body. Or you might just be able to use it for research purposes to help you better understand what's happening at the very tiniest micro level. Yeah. And so one researcher who's been studying the relationship between animal toxins and pain is the UC San Francisco physiologist David Julius. He, there was a June 2016 article in Nature called Selective Spider Toxins Reveal a Role for the NAV 1.1 Channel in Mechanical Pain. And, and what this was really about was looking at tarantula venom to better understand the what's going on uh, in these tiny, tiny little receptors, these molecular structures down inside our bodies when we experience pain. And I did want to give a shout out that there is a great piece in Wired by Chelsea Liu uh, profiling Julius and this line of research, which which was a fun read if you want to look it up. Uh, but uh, following that, so what's going on in this research or in Julius's career? Well, so different toxins in venom, such as that of a spider, may cause different types of pain, right? So some might bind with receptors that indicate mechanical pain, like a knife goes into your skin. I know huh. I've used that example before. I guess I just can't get it out of my brain. Uh, <laughs> some might bind with receptors that do something else, like they indicate thermal pain, such as a burning sensation, or like the capsaicin in a hot chili pepper, you know, that simulates a burning sensation. Uh, sure. Uh, et cetera. And, and you can think about this pretty easily. You, you felt this difference before. Uh, just imagine without any stimulus how you've probably at some point in your stomach or somewhere in your body felt a stabbing pain and a burning pain. Mm-hmm. And they're different types of sensations. Absolutely. And they, they sort of mimic this fire or knife kind of feeling. So Julius and colleagues have been studying the many different ways that these venoms act on cells at the micro level to cause different types of pain experience. Uh, for example, in a May 2010 article in Cell, Julius and, and his co-authors described a toxin from the venom of the earth tiger tar- tarantula. And you should definitely Google image search that, by the way. Yeah. Earth tiger tarantula. Straight up eight-legged tigers. Furry, glorious, orange. It's like a Cheeto came to life and was at the same time a spider and a tiger. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. so fuzzy and cute. Uh-huh. Oh it's my, great. I want to pet it. Uh, but so they found out that the venom in this earth tiger tarantula, quote, selectively and irreversibly activates the capsaicin and heat sensitive channel TRPV1. And the, I've actually talked about that before. I remember when I was doing something with uh, with Ben Bolin and Kristen Conger uh, about uh, about why spicy foods trigger burning in your mouth. Oh, right. For the short lived but excellent food stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, you have chili pepper spider fangs. Yeah. <laughs> 
essentially they found that the, what this toxin does is it props open – I think those were their words – props open this channel that's usually activated by heat and by other things that simulate heat such as hot peppers. Huh. But uh, back to this June 2016 research in nature. So there is a tarantula called Heteroscadra maculata. And it's also known under a few odd names like the Togo Starburst or the Togo Starburst Baboon. Oh, I'm looking it up. It's pretty, too. Uh-huh. So many spiders for you to Google, you yeah. folks at home. I hope you're having a pleasant experience. <laughs> now, th- this spider's venom uh, s- simulates mechanical pain specifically. And th- that that's key because it's not like any type of pain. It's not a burning pain. It's a stabbing pain uh, like you would feel if something was mechanically doing damage to the tissues in your body. Poking you. Yeah. Lauren's making a stabbing motion with her hands. Uh, and uh, one of the things I was wondering here, though, was should you say that the spider ven- venom simulates mechanical pain or should you just say it causes it? Because pain is pain, subjective, internal experience yeah. anyway. Because it's not causing the damage. It's causing the pain, which is a separate. Sure. Yeah. So I guess you can say it really does cause mechanical pain. Yeah. OK. That makes sense. Uh, but anyway, so cells in the nervous system rely on tiny structures called sodium channels as part of their system for communicating with one another. So your, your neurons, your, your nociceptors want to tell your brain that, Hey, you know, something's hurting you. Uh, they rely on these sodium channels to, to trade information back and forth. But the researchers noticed that this venom has toxins that zero in on one very specific type of sodium channel in the pain receptors. There are a bunch of different types of them. Uh, so the researchers were able to figure out that these sodium channels in particular were responsible for creating the feeling of mechanical pain, the stabby pain, not the burny pain. Huh. So what difference does this actually make that we learn this? Well, for instance, what if we were able to come up with painkillers that selectively target individual sodium channels, meaning that you block pain, but not all sensations. So your anesthetic means it it doesn't hurt when they do a little local operation on you, but you don't have to go numb all day. Mm -hmm. Or what about a painkiller that doesn't even block all types of pain? Because as we've mentioned, pain can be very useful, even life-saving, when it provides a warning that there's a problem with the body. And so these avenues of research, I think, could potentially help get us more targeted ways of fighting pain, much less of a nuke it for morbid mentality. Yeah, because that's basically what what most of our painkilling drugs these days do. Yeah, the opioids definitely are a nuke it for morbid option. Yes, yes. Feel no pain. Feel no emotional pain. Uh, Lie on your couch, probably. I really don't like opioids. They're not my friend. Uh, Genetics and gene therapy is another away from the conversation about my own personal drug uses. Uh, About Uh, tarantulas. We were talking about tarantulas. We were totally talking about tarantulas. Uh, So, yeah, you said gene therapy. Gene therapy, yeah. So researchers are looking for and furthermore starting to identify genes that that have a whole lot of different things to do with pain, like like genes that affect how much pain you feel after an injury or after a surgery, Mm -hmm. genes that affect how your body responds to drugs. Genes that are responsible for particular conditions like like migraines. Yeah. And I've seen that there have been some clinical trials now using gene therapy as a possible remedy for pain. Absolutely. Uh, other research is bent on figuring out how to interrupt the neural pathways that create that sensation of pain, um, perhaps by messing around with the RNA of neural cells. Hmm. So, Yeah. Gene therapy, uh, other forms of therapy that are in the works are um, uh, brain and or central nervous system therapies. Because oh, yeah. a- as we learn more about how chronic pain affects the brain and the nervous system to create those those feedback loops that we've been talking about, we might be able to gain insight into how to stop those feedback loops. Um, for, for example, we're learning that immune system disorders that create inflammation in the body can cause inflammation in the brain sometimes too, which leads to neuropathic chronic pain. Oh, okay. So that was the pain that just comes from the nervous system. Right, right. And, and it can, and it can happen because of not Damage to the nervous system per se, but damage to other parts of the body that's leading your immune system to also attack okay. and create inflammation in, in the, in, in the nervous system directly. Mm-hmm. So, so targeting the like brain specific immune cells and structures that are participating in this could help 
fix it. Uh, or, hey, uh, maybe we could learn how to replace dysfunctional nervous system cells that are encouraging neuropathic pain through something like stem cell research. Oh. Yeah. Uh, scientists are furthermore investigating therapies that would that would generally be termed psychological, um, like a like virtual reality therapy, for example, but which Whoa, can. What would that involve? Uh, well, uh, you know, it's it's the idea that with that kind of psychological therapy, you can change your brain's pathways because that's, of course, what thoughts are doing. So, if you are going through a targeted therapy to help change your brain's pathways, you could hypothetically change the pathways that are causing that emotional physical feedback loop that creates chronic pain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that is something I've definitely seen uh, some of the people writing on this issue saying that that statement pain is in the brain. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, it's a mental it's a mental phenomenon. While we feel it in the part of our body that's hurting, it's relying on the central nervous system in the brain to create certainly the feeling of pain and the reaction to the pain that makes it so distressing. And, yeah. and that actually it comes back to something that I kind of would like to end on. Yeah. Um, which remember that that International Association for the Study of Pain definition. So pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience. And when you think about it, it's kind of strange because if you follow me for a second here, why is pain bad? Like why do we have a negative emotional yeah. association with it. Why is pain not just useful information? It could just be a sensation that is emotionally neutral, uh -huh. but you, once you have this information, you're like, okay, I need to get away from that. It could be informing you without, without making you feel distress. so unhappy. Yeah, yeah. I, th I thought for half a second you were going to get into some weird, like, Clive Barker territory. No, 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 this no, is no, a no. separate, separate issue. Okay. Yeah, pleasure and pain, indivisible, infinite. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, but we don't really feel the, uh, so th that's a question we can ask, but in practice, I know I don't, and you probably don't, feel at liberty to change your opinion on the positivity or negativity of pain. You know, you, you can't just say, you know what, I'm going to give intense extreme pain a chance. I'm going to do my <laughs> best to enjoy it and just not let it bother me. For some reason, it's got this access channel to our emotions that gives pain the ability to cause major problems in our lives and make us unhappy no matter how much we would like to resolve to just ignore it or not let it bother us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what if there were some psychological, let's say, you know, you, you've said virtual reality, but m maybe whatever the, the true way of getting there is. What if mm -hmm. there were some therapy, psychological or uh, maybe more at the somatic level, but neurological, uh, a treatment that managed to deactivate one half of the IASP definition without deactivating the other? Uh, because as we've said a couple of times now, you wouldn't want to deactivate the sensory experience of pain. It's in, important. Yes. It in, does good stuff for you. Yes. In the words of William Shatner in that, that scene from Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. <laughs> He's right. We do need it. It's very <laughs> useful information. Thank but, you, Captain Kirk. Uh, but what if we had some neurological procedure that would allow us to keep the pain and just take away the distressing reaction to the pain? So in this scenario, pain becomes emotionally neutral information. It's like a string tied around your finger. You can feel it. You can notice it's there, but it just doesn't really bother you. I don't, I, do you, I don't know. Do you think that would work? I mean, on one hand, that seems like a preferable thing. But then on the other hand, I wonder if the emotional distress caused by pain is still just as is important. a critical part yeah. of the information. Yeah. Right. So maybe, maybe as a counter to my thought experiment here, what if people who are aware that they've injured themselves, but it doesn't cause them distress, those people are just not very likely to seek medical attention for their injury because they don't feel the sense of urgency created by emotional unhappiness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, hmm, that's, that's an interesting question, especially considering the kind of epidemic we have about people not seeking treatment about something until it's way too late and it's like an emergency room level mm -hmm. kind of issue, which, of course, is is driven by a lot of socioeconomic, socioeconomic factors and stuff like that. But uh, but, yeah, I wonder, I wonder, well, like, yeah, try, try to think about yourself. Imagine somebody, a mad scientist is offering you this procedure. You know that it actually works. Mm -hmm. But they say, OK, we will give you a give you some kind of neurological therapy that allows you to experience pain as an emotionally neutral sensory experience. 
I think I think that being being a relatively healthy young person, uh, I'm I'm biased, but I don't think I would take it. Yeah. Uh, then again, like I'm not in chronic pain. I don't have fibromyalgia. You know, I, I don't suffer migraines or anything like that. Right. So I can't. I, I don't know. I don't know if I would want that thing. I feel like I feel like I like my emotional distress. I need my pain like Captain Kirk. Right. Yeah. How about Our you? Pain makes us who we are. <laughs> I, How about you? How do you feel? I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I, I feel both ways on this. I do. I, I, I'm probably in the same boat you are, actually. I mean, I, I uh, could maybe cavalierly turn it down just because I f- am fortunate enough to personally not have severe pain to deal with. But mm-hmm. maybe if I was somebody who had severe pain, I, I would take this. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I want like I, 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 I would ask the mad scientist, like, can I come back to you in uh-huh. like 30 years when I will probably have a lot of arthritis? I, I think a lot of the the decision would just come down to how much do you trust yourself to do something about pain, even if it's not nagging at you, you sure. Know, if it's just if, if it's, it's just, just there, there, yeah. <laughs> I'm supremely lazy, so I don't <laughs> I don't know if that's a good plan for me personally. Yeah, but it's an important question. It's an and it's an interesting discussion. It's an interesting thought of of what what if that is indeed the future of pain? Yeah. Huh. Well, I guess that's going to be it for the day. But if you folks out there. Have come across any interesting uh, research or reading about the future of dealing with pain? You should send it our way. We'd like to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And also, if you have any any other topics that you would like to hear us cover, we would love to hear from you. We might even get around to answering your email. We've been bad about that lately, but we're trying to get back on track. Uh, that email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Of course, you can visit our website at fwthinking.com. You can also check us out on Twitter and Facebook, where we occasionally post things. Our Twitter handle is also FW Thinking, and just just search that just search that term on Facebook, and we'll pop right up. Uh, we hope to hear from you, and one way or another, you will hear from us again very soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit ForwardThinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.